you really can't go wrong when the idea is that you're trying to offer your residents best price, best speed, um, competition for your business. It just feels like a, a real slam dunk for everyone. Welcome to episode 426 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher talks with Jamie Letzring, Deputy City Manager for West Des Moines, Iowa, and Dave Lyons, a consultant with the city. Together, the group digs into how the city started with a long-term vision called West Des Moines 2036 that, in part, brought local leaders together to discuss universal, high-speed internet access as a path to equity, economic vitality, and citizen engagement. Jamie and Dave shared the challenges that came with a rapidly congesting right-of-way landscape and how that ultimately led to the decision to commit to a citywide conduit model that has attracted Google Fiber. Now here's Christopher talking with Jamie Letzring and Dave Lyons. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today I'm speaking with uh, folks from West Des Moines, which has a very interesting model. We're going to get down to how it came about and how it developed and how it works. And with that, I'm going to introduce Jamie Letzring, the Deputy City Manager from West Des Moines. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we also have Dave Lyons, a consultant with the city of West Des Moines. Welcome. Thanks, Christopher. So I want to just briefly tease that we're going to be talking about a very interesting model. I think we're going to see many more places that gets conduit uh, to every home in the community, uh, also solves a lot of right away issues, and uh, that you're working with Google Fiber in a, um, a very intriguing partnership. Uh, we're going to start with some history, though, and I'd like to start with Jamie telling us a bit about West Des Moines, um, particularly for people who don't spend a lot of time in the Des Moines metro area. Yeah, certainly. So West Des Moines, Iowa is a suburb of the capital of Iowa, a city of Des Moines. We're a community of about 65,000 people. We've got quite a bit of commercial industry. We've got a healthy balance of commercial industry and residential homes here and uh, a significant number of apartments as well. Most of our industry uh, is um, in finance, banking, a lot of insurance, Home mortgage, uh, Wells Fargo, those type of businesses um, have some pretty significant headquarters here, including um, Hy-Vee Foods, uh, grocery stores, also has a headquarters. Um, we're a community with a pretty uh, high graduation rate, um, a pretty high number of our residents have secondary degrees, and our median income is um, a above both the state average and the national average. So I, it's pretty safe to say our, we have a high standard of excellence here that's expected from our residents. Just another one of the hyper-literate Iowa communities. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm curious about, about, I always like to ask a little bit about background. Is, is getting into this broadband stuff something that you're excited about? Or is it one of your duties as the deputy city manager where you just feel like, oh, I have to do this thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that it kind of found me. Uh, it wasn't something that I was pushing until um, I got here. And I realized that that was um, uh, an initiative that we were really, it was something that our community was really missing. Yeah, and the, and the project really just found me from there. So I am not 
was not when we started a subject matter expert on this stuff at all. And, and daily, I'm still learning about um, fiber and broadband and um, the engineering aspects of it. So uh, certainly not my background. And what's the uh, number of premises in the city? Like how many households are there? Um, let's see, we have probably around um, 35,000 uh, between our um, apartment complexes, business locations, if you add up, you know, all of the um, different strip malls and things, and then also um, single family homes. Great. So um, Dave's going to be uh, jumping in uh, with some of this history, but Jamie, I'm going to ask you to get started with how uh, West Des Moines started approaching what has become this massive conduit project. About four years ago, um, just as I was arriving and taking on the position as deputy city manager, the city went through a uh, visioning process with Rebecca Ryan, and uh, we created a vision document called our 2036, uh, kind of our 20-year strategic plan. And uh, of that plan, there were several initiatives. Some of the key points, um, there's about six key points, I guess, and, and they were um, things like uh, um, creating a, a kitchen cabinet of, uh, of West Des Moines leaders and, and residents that were going to help shape and inform um, where the city was heading and, and what type of uh, big picture ideas that we, we needed to make sure we were um, capturing in order to stay uh, relevant and, and thriving and growing. Uh, another one of our major initiatives in that uh, 2036 plan was to really double down on technology. And at the time when we wrote that four years ago, um, that you know was, could have looked a lot of different ways. A lot of communities were still considering and are considering even now uh, municipal uh, broadband projects. And that's really kind of initially where we assumed that that would go. Um, I was charged with really implementing a lot of those initiatives that came from our 20 year strategic plan, but I certainly couldn't do it alone. <laughs> so. That is when um, Dave Lyons and I started working together to help uh, implement um, at really on the forefront those two initi initiatives that I mentioned, our leadership advisory board, and then also um, really ramping up uh, the importance, the access to uh, technology and high-speed internet here in our community. Uh, my assumption is West Des Moines is probably pretty similarly situated to most other communities of your size. You have cable available to just about everyone, probably DSL available in many areas and perhaps a smattering of areas that are better connected. Is that more or less accurate? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. You know, we have a historic um, area of our community, uh, Historic Valley Junction, that um, is sort of uh, our older neighborhoods that tend to be less connected. Um, and then you know, as you head south and west, our community gets younger and, and newer homes are being built. We don't have the type of internet coverage that you may suspect from a community our size. And um, we really saw a large increase in population during the early 2000s when a lot of our industry was um, taking off and a lot of people were moving to West Des Moines. Um, and it just seemed like uh, existing internet providers couldn't either keep up or didn't manage to be able uh, to meet the growing need of our residents. So um, in the last several years, we have sort of fallen behind in terms of available activity and certainly fallen behind in terms of um, options for providers. I feel like when I hear that there's a group of experts getting together, I feel like a lot of times 
not a lot comes out of it. But you formed this West Lab group, and it seems like, I mean, it's not the only time I've heard about it, but it seems like it's really worked out well. People took it seriously, and they, they got real things out of it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely would say so. You know, one of the things, um, one of the privileges that we have working in government is that we are able to call people together. You know, when we call upon people, they, they tend to answer and they tend to um, show up and, and come to those meetings. So we really called upon the experts, the CEOs um, within our community and said, we need your help shaping the vision and the future of our community to make sure that um, we're paying attention to things that are extremely important to the success of your business model in our community. Uh, and they listened, you know, they, ab- <laughs> they absolutely said, yes, please. Well, so we've, of course, we fed him lunch and, and, and Dave can speak to his two rules. You start on time, you end on time. Um, but we created this board and we, we meet uh, quarterly. But I knew at the very beginning that it wasn't something that I would be qualified to facilitate. As a city staff member, I needed to be able to take a lot of notes. And, um, and oftentimes when you're creating a meeting like that, um, it's best to have an outside third party facilitating those discussions. Um, they're unattached to the subject matter. They're unattached to the city. And that leaves us free to try to absorb people's reactions and absorb the information. Um, that's when uh, I asked uh, Dave Lyons to join me in facilitating these meetings. And um, they have just seen some really positive results. And that seems like a really interesting thread, Dave, with uh, the start on time, end on time. Is that something that's helped make them be more successful? It has. When you, uh, when you bring a group of 40 plus CEOs and community leaders together, uh, you have to make it worth their time. You have to have an agenda. You have to key point and deliverable of a meeting. You start on time to respect their schedules. You end on time. And uh, usually you'll get uh, everybody to come back to the next meeting. Good. So West Lab was an interesting uh, challenge. Um, Previously, I was uh, held positions such as the economic development director for Iowa, the insurance commissioner for the state. I've run uh, numerous public and private organizations uh, from the CEO level. So I was very used to public-private partnerships. And I think that's why uh, West Des Moines gave me a call. I thought it was a unique challenge to form this group uh, and to recognize that it's not about micromanagement. It's about getting um, high-level input on key challenges and opportunities facing the community and being both a sounding board and an innovation board for city leadership. Um, and then the two subjects that uh, Jamie talked about pretty quickly came together. Uh, as we started teasing out with this uh, group of leaders, what were their key challenges for the future? Uh, they jumped all over connectivity, uh, and they made it pretty clear. Uh, first of all, uh, the city was going to need to treat it as a utility with the same level of respect, the same level of service and commitment as any other uh, key utility, um, regardless of whether it owned it or franchised it, which is a bit of a challenge. The second issue is, is they felt that the city would be most core competent on the infrastructure and the uh, politics management side and to do a public-private partnership uh, for customer service, et cetera. Uh, Kind of uh, their quote, uh, if the city stays in its swim lane and makes it uh, possible through infrastructure for more 
uh, broadband companies to be investing and able to move forward in West Des Moines, everybody will win. And the third issue was, is that they wanted to make sure that uh, it was equitable. Um, they understand that uh, relying on public-private partnerships, um, you have to have a keen view of equity and the role of government uh, to ensure that uh, every boat rises with the tide. Um, so they laid out a pretty good roadmap on one of the first issues on broadband, which I was able to take back to city leadership. And we were able to form uh, over three years, a series of uh, innovations that I think kind of led us down a, maybe a third path, so to speak, um, for many cities um, that are very small. Uh, they really need to put all the infrastructure in and run an ISP themselves to get a level of service uh, that's world quality. Uh, for very large communities, they're able to use the density of population uh, to convince people to come in and put in ubiquitous fiber. West Des Moines is kind of a halfway in between. We uh, needed a middle path and with the public-private partnership, I think it's gonna be very successful. This this piece of equity I find very interesting because it seems like you get these CEOs together and they could have said, we need business district fiber. We need fiber to the, the businesses or we need conduit or we need the city to do something within its lane. But the focus on equity throughout the residence um, is interesting and I'm wondering where that comes from. Part of it is the fact that um, we have several hospitals here located in West Des Moines. And I think those folks realize that they're um, their patients are not are not always able to um, make the journey to um, to the facility for that care, um, and and also those CEOs are thinking um, more of a statewide. Um, you know, when they're when they're interpreting their business plan, they're thinking about it in terms of the entirety of the state, where uh, local hospitals are closing and and. Perhaps the only place that you have in town is maybe that grocery store that also has a bank and also has a, a quick clinic care site and also has a pharmacy. And it might be the only place in town that, um, that has access to all of those items. And therefore, we need connectivity, not just throughout town for everyone, but also um, they were thinking we need connectivity from West Des Moines, our headquarters, into rural parts of Iowa as well. So I think um, in terms of just using healthcare as an example, those hospital CEOs were also thinking to themselves, our patients, um, you know, in an aging population and an aging state don't necessarily need to come into the office for every single visit if we can visit them inside their home virtually. And we also included not just business CEOs, but um, there are about six school districts that West Point overlaps into. And so we had, um, I think, I want to say at least four of the school superintendents present at almost every meeting. And, um, you know, they're carrying with them, obviously, a big message around even this is, you know, obviously before we were in the midst of a pandemic, but they're carrying a big message around um, connectivity at home because our school districts are um, allowing students to take a, a laptop device or an iPad home with them. So. Um, they definitely drove home the message from the school perspective. But Dave, I'll let you add any other insights you might have as to that how equity um, reverberated through the group. Well, you hit it pretty well, Jamie. Um, we had a very diverse opinion on what world-class connectivity would be. 
um, and it included uh, telemedicine, it included uh, tele-education, uh, it included work from home, uh, because a lot of the employers were becoming much more flexible with their workforce. Um, so everybody saw it not only as a community importance, um, but in each of their business plans, uh, connectivity to their customers, to their employees, uh, to their students, et cetera, uh, really became an important issue. They also had an underlying issue that I thought was pretty exciting as well. Uh, they realized that if you could create universal access at a high quality level, uh, you could create a platform for the city to deliver a broader and broader uh, band of services uh, on a very efficient cost platform. And so their concept was that it's not just good for their business, but as taxpayers, uh, the more efficient the city can become and the faster, quicker, and more effective it can engage citizens, whether they be uh, frail elderly or whether they be uh, people going through job training, et cetera, they believed it would make the city more competitive in the future to have that infrastructure. Now, while this is happening, if I'm if I have the timeline right in my head, uh, you also are dealing with a challenge in certain rights of way in the city, and you're recognizing that you have um, some um, some uh, congestion starting to happen, perhaps. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, typically, the city of West Des Moines uh, tries to purchase 65 feet of right of way, which is a uh, you think of that, that's uh, pretty significant. Um, a lot of our major thoroughfares are six lane, but we tend to um, build a three lane and then expand that as um, the traffic need grows. Even in some of our um, major business districts, uh, our 65 feet was becoming, um, you know, rapidly diminishing. As wireless carriers were starting to implement 5G throughout the community, um, and, and as high-speed broadband uh, interest and demand was growing and increasing, um, you know, you add in um, some of our own fiber that we had uh, used to uh, link all of our, our stoplights uh, to an adaptive traffic system, and uh, everybody has to be in their own uh, conduit, in their own section, and so many inches apart from each other, you can begin to see how that space becomes uh, cramped. Um, and what happens if you exhaust that? What is the next step for the city? Is it just to tell people, too bad, you can't come to this part of town? <laughs> a great question. Yeah. <laughs> you just try to avoid that happening, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, the process really was one where we were finding certain key commercial corridors were 85% or more consumed, um, which creates two challenges uh, for the city. Uh, the first is, is that once that becomes consumed, uh, the private sector has no longer an ability to cost effectively reach them, uh, which means services begin to suffer. The other issue is, is that there are a lot of future needs for the public right of way, which we haven't even begun to address yet, such as automated vehicles. Um, and if there is nothing left in the right of way for the city to use, it will have to implement much more expensive options. So retaining some public safety right of way is always important. Um, there's always private easements, um, and that is a, an option to public right of way when it has been consumed, but that's very expensive and very time consuming. 
There's also uh, alternative routing, uh, which we've used with several carriers. Um, again, the problem is, is that the more feet you consume uh, reaching a location, the less efficient you're going to be in servicing that location, both financially and technologically. So uh, really the goal was to use this effort to solve for three separate simultaneous outcomes. The first is universal access of fiber throughout the community, every business, every person, every residence, et cetera. The second was a method that would allow for the continued expansion of the private sector while preserving public right-of-way for potential future uses. And the third was to put this within an economic envelope that made uh, West Des Moines not only cost-effective in delivering all of these services, but actually created an incentive and a competitive advantage for West Des Moines over competing communities. Uh, because let's face it, in today's age, people can live and work from pretty much wherever they want. Companies can locate and succeed from pretty much wherever they want. So if what they want is world-class connectivity, then West Des Moines is going to be their choice. Dave brings up a really great point that I just wanted to highlight briefly. Um, meanwhile, the city of West Des Moines enjoys a, a, a very fantastic relationship with Microsoft um, we are home to, I think, the largest, perhaps maybe the largest number of uh, uh, Microsoft data centers uh, located in any one community. And so, um, meanwhile, uh, Microsoft had approached us and was interested in building um, their third uh, site, which uh, is generally located out in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> south of town and uh, needed to be linked by um, some uh, roadway infrastructure, which we've typically utilized uh, tax increment financing um, to, to build infrastructure for any uh, Microsoft projects. They're an excellent corporate partner. Um, and one of the, the, the things that came about as a result of that project was a, a brand new roadway that opened up about 5,000 acres for development um, on the south and west side of, of West Des Moines. Um, however, as I sat in my office and thought, that's fantastic. We have, you know, electricity, we have water, we have sewer, we have stormwater. The one thing that we don't have that's going to be very expensive for a, um, a new business to locate out there or an office park to locate out there is access to fiber, uh, which is going to be a requirement. So without installing conduit along this roadway, it's ready for business, but also not quite exactly ready for business. Mm -hmm. So when I would wear my economic development hat, um, you know, I really began to think of that access to fiber um, while we weren't interested in providing the fiber itself, but access to the fiber is a significant cost for some developers who are building uh, class A office space. Um, and for us, we had had some experience installing conduit for these Microsoft sites and thought, I think we know how to do this. I think we can um, probably do that efficiently too. And then there's really nothing standing in the way of uh, that 5,000 acres being officially ready for development. 
I'm just imagining you out there on the machine adjusting the <laughs> levels of bentonite as you're drilling through the, the soil. <laughs> yes, in my spare time. That is where you'll find me. <laughs> um, and so one of the things you found is that, or I forget if you made it happen, but you're able to use tax increment financing then for the conduit projects. Uh, we were able to utilize tax increment financing for conduit projects in some areas of town. Um, one of the first things that we did, we have quite a few urban renewal areas across our community. One of the first things that we did when we started thinking of different ways to attack this problem, as, as Dave said, we needed, you know, we had three different issues we were trying to solve for. Um, but in another respect, we had multiple different attack approaches to solve the same issue, which was connectivity. Um, one of those methods was to find a funding, um, a revenue stream. So we updated uh, our um, urban renewal plan. Uh, we amended our urban renewal plans as they came about and, and needed to be updated to include verbiage where we could utilize tax increment financing dollars for um, conduit in the road right of way. So let me speed ahead a little bit as we're um, starting to get crunched for time and, and tell me what I if I miss anything important. But um, as you go through, you basically identify that um, this this conduit system is something that would work. You start prioritizing um, uh, the areas of town in which you have the biggest crunch to, to make sure that you're able to get conduit there. You work with private providers to make sure they're they're good with with using this conduit system um, or that there are alternatives for them if they choose not to. Um, and and then um, at a certain point, then Google Fiber is knocking at your door. So what did I what would I miss before Google Fiber is knocking at your door? Uh, the only two things I think that's also important to point out is, is that over a three-year period, uh, the pilots included not just technical pilots, uh, but implementation pilots. Uh, for example, in the low-income census tracts, we did develop a process to test MiFi devices, community-wide Wi-Fi, and point-to-point -point wireless to be able to take uh, a uh, broadband service out to uh, low and income um, moderate households. Um, so we've been learning at the same time on the equity as we've been learning on the technical, and all of that is kind of fed into uh, an accelerant, um, I would call it, in relationship to Google Fiber's interest in um, investing in the build out in uh, West Des Moines as a licensee. Thank you. And that's it's a good tease because I really want, um, after I give you a chance to catch your breath and do the, the work you're supposed to be doing, I want to have you guys back on just to talk about um, those projects. Um, but so as I understand, it, then you're working on this and you're thinking about how to fit it in over a longer term. And then um, Google Fiber says, hey, we, we heard through the grapevine you're doing something. And that kind of gets things on the uh, in the passing lane, I guess we might say. Yep. The question came in. Um, very interesting model. Very forward thinking. Um, love the concept. Um, would you be able to go faster? if you had a major licensee who was willing to step up. Um, and the uh, city uh, had already uh, done quite a bit of work. So it was pretty quickly able to say, yes, if, and those ifs were, are you talking about equity, which would be universal access? Will you take fiber everywhere we take uh, conduit? Uh, and the answer was yes. Uh, the second issue is, is, um, would you be okay with an open access system? Which means, guess what? If, uh, if we're building it, we're not building it just for you. 
Uh, we're building it as a city infrastructure that obviously will reduce your costs for getting into business in West Des Moines, but it reduces everybody's costs. And they said, yep, so long as people aren't mixing fiber and people aren't in on top of us, et cetera, we're, we're totally good with the open uh, concept. And the third issue is, is, do you understand it's going to take a long-term financial commitment for us to feel comfortable in the city stepping up? Um, and their answer was, how about 20 years uh, guaranteed lease and uh, minimum revenue every year? And at that point, we realized we really probably could accelerate this vision of a citywide infrastructure that gives carriers the opportunity to reach quicker, faster, lower cost consumers, um, but at the same time also creates a strong equity backbone for the city to begin looking at, okay, now how do we uh, peel back the layers of the digital divide and use these new platforms as a means to reach people? I think to, to tag onto that very quickly, Dave, um, the partnership with Google Fiber was important for us because while we were um, headed down the, the road of creating um, this conduit system throughout our community, we didn't have any providers that were saying at that time, I'd like to go everywhere that you're going to put that conduit. So a partnership with someone who would be willing to visit each and every household and business um, where conduit was made available was very important to us because otherwise we were set to invest the same amount of money without a guarantee that um, there would be at least one provider option at your doorstep. The pricing model then is is, is interesting, I think, for a lot of uh, people because a traditional model is uh, an ISP uh, may get a path to a place and it pays for each of the paths that it uses. But in this case, you have any franchisee will be paying uh, for all of the paths that are available uh, at about two twenty five a month, if I remember correctly. Um, actually, the city uh, has a goal of creating as much flexibility for private carriers and licensees as possible. So in Google Fiber's situation, um, the preference there was a per servable address uh, license fee. So uh, again, the city will link to every servable address. And so long as we're linked to that address... Uh, Google Fiber will pay a license for that address, whether that address ever signs up with Google Fiber or not. And they could easily be with somebody else or have no conduit at all, but they're paying for the market presence. Um, we have other licensees, however, who prefer not to license the entire system. And they have asked, and we have agreed to convert what that per license household would be into a more traditional per linear foot charge. So uh, carriers really do have options about how they want to license. And we will have a, a rate card uh, that will assure that there's equity and parity between carriers. That's a very nice gentle correction. I always appreciate that. <laughs> um, the um, in the servable address would ex we would expect basically almost all locations in the city. It's just individual property owners could opt out if they decide that they would not like to live in the future. That's correct. 
<laughs> Absolutely correct. And again, the theory is, is that the connection uh, to the city network, conduit network will be free. Um, and I think most of the households already kind of get it. Uh, the ones we've chatted with certainly have. I, yes, I would like to have ability to consider other carriers in the future. Um, but even those that are very comfortable with their existing carrier, I've got a good connection with CenturyLink or I have never had any problems with Mediacom. They still want the connection made knowing that when they turn around to sell that home in the future, the fact that it is uh, connected to fiber uh, that is in a competitive backbone really gives that house another piece that sets it apart. Additionally, the, they know that it increases their flexibility in the future. Obviously, the pandemic is a, is a perfect example where a number of folks who felt that they had good DSL service or that was, the cable was, was fine, um, suddenly found themselves working from home and having to download large documents and work on engineering issues, et cetera, doing a lot of Zooms and Skypes. And they found that they really had to increase their speed. So that's the other reason homeowners, even if they're not interested right now, are still uh, looking at um, being excited about joining the network is it gives them a lot more uh, flexibility in the future, should they need it. So a couple of quick questions then. One is, um, who does locates? Yeah, the, the city understands it's going to be staffing up uh, to support this process. And in the city, in the city, it will locate um, all of the um, uh, process for implementing the citywide network, and it will work with the carriers for locates uh, going forward on the system itself. Again, think of it as a, a collaborative conduit system. Um, we will assist with the locates um, if there is uh, a cut. Um, we will have a SLA, a, a service level agreement that gets out there and fixes it. Um, and everybody pays equivalent to the percentage of conduit of fiber they have within that conduit. So if I'm a big user, I'll pay a big percentage of it. If I'm a small user, I'll pay a small percentage. But everybody shares in the costs of the maintenance and development and ongoing capacity of the system. So is there a maintenance fee that then goes beyond that um, per serviceable address fee? Uh, the maintenance fee is actually built into okay. the serviceable address and the um, um, per linear foot costs. Um, we do have the ability to long-term um, uh, be able to add some additional uh, costs in, um, but that would then be very transparent in that uh, everyone would have uh, a need to see what the needs for upgrade were and sharing in those costs. And then carriers or anyone that's leasing this can use the way you've designed it, uh, their own technology. So you could have a home that has access to both an ActiveX and an active Ethernet approach, as well as a, um, a GPON system, for instance. Absolutely. Uh, the, the idea is to provide the road and whether somebody wants to drive a semi or a Chevelle or a, a <laughs> Volkswagen, um, it's totally up to them, uh, whatever services their needs and their customers the best. So I want to thank you both um, for all this time. I want to make sure we have a chance just to 
if there's anything that we missed. And one thing I'm curious about, Jamie, is um, is the city council pretty united on this? Is it something that they're enthusiastic? They feel like they've hit the jackpot? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very excited. Um, you know, it, it feels good to be able to cross one of your to do's off of your 20 year strategic plan only four years into um, having the plan, uh, working the plan, I guess. Um, but very excited. Um, you know, equity throughout the community is an initiative that um, a lot of communities are working on right now. This is just simply digital equity. It's an area that I um, can be a partner in. Um, there is a lot of equity issues that we still have yet to do work on, and, and we are working on those. But you really can't go wrong when the idea is that you're trying to offer your residents, um, you know, best price, best speed. Um, competition for your business. It just feels like a, a real slam dunk for everyone. Um, we can offer all of those things without having to increase taxes to do so to pay for the project um, is really the icing on the cake for us. Well, and I, if just a quick um, question on that then. So is this just something that's able to locate within existing capital expenditures that are planned then? Uh, correct. You know, the city enjoys a, a both a triple A AAA bond rating from both Moody's and S and P. So um, interest rates have been very good to us recently. Um, <laughs> You're almost at the point where banks are going to pay you to do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, has, it has been pretty remarkable. This last uh, round of, of um, uh, sale, bond sales that we did, I was just really astonished at how wonderful the rates are, but um, that has been able to afford us some, some uh, room within our existing debt service levy where we're able to fund the project through um, where our existing levy is at. And so is there anything else you want to make sure we cover? Well, Christopher, the one thing is, is uh, any project of this size, um, there's going to be somebody who's concerned. Um, so obviously we've covered the financial, we've covered the physical, we've covered the technological, et cetera. Um, market expectations, we are getting some um, reach out from legacy carriers who are very concerned uh, that, um, reducing the barrier to entry is going to create uh, more um, competition for their business plans. Um, and that is correct. But again, they understand uh, for the most part that we have to respond to consumer expectations, to citizen expectations. And that's that this is, this is a requirement for quality of life today. And they also understand in their hearts that public right-of-way will soon be completely consumed and they won't have options either. Um, so we're, we are having a lot of conversations with the industry right now to make sure they understand that this system is an open system, that this system is about preserving right away and lowering costs and keeping options available. And that we really do think whether it's Google Fiber or whether it's Mediacom or CenturyLink or any of the other po uh, positive carriers out there, uh, this really will make West Des Moines, a place they want to invest. Excellent. And uh, any final comments from you, Jamie? No, thank you for the time. You know, Dave and I are, are willing to discuss with others who may have uh, questions to follow up. We're pretty passionate about digital equity and, and access for all. So um, I encourage other communities to try something a little out of the box. Um, and uh, if, if they're struggling as we were. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for both of you and, and congratulations on, on this great model. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you. That was Christopher talking with Jamie Letzring and Dave Lyons. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. 
Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 426 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.